Hey, this is Colin Parker, pod boss of the Scavengers Network, here to save you the pain of suffering through the first 52-episode season of this absolute garbage podcast. This is a summary of all the major plot points, as well as some extra details, from the show's conception to episode 52. That way you can start here and move forward with the, um, I'm going to put this one in air quotes, good episodes ahead. <sighs> okay. Hang on, if I'm going to get through this. Oh, man. Oh, that's good. Now I can do this. If you've got one, I would suggest you crack it open and get to it. Here we go. In April of 2018, the Hercus Bumfler siblings purchased a ratty back alley radio station tucked between a fishmongery called Gerald's Fish for Eating and a tannery named Elsie's Last Stop. After about a month of fighting with their broken-down broadcast equipment, Ernest Hergesbumfler looked to his brother Chortley and asked, Is this even gonna work? To which Chortley shrugged and said, I don't know. At that very moment, Idaho Radio was born. First, they needed a host. Because their entire family was genetically predisposed towards shrill and harsh voices, they knew they'd have to serve the role of producers and find outside air talent, preferably as cheap as possible. It didn't take them long to discover that, unfortunately, in today's world, you get what you pay for. Uh, trust me, brothers, I've learned that the hard way with this same exact crew, um, and that's how they and I have ended up with Fishstick. Fishstick had been working with them on repairing the existing transmitter and computer problems in exchange for being allowed to sleep on the premises. He was perpetually in between jobs and knew a thing or two about electronics. The brothers ended up approaching him about holding down the morning show. The deal was simple. Fishstick would be on air in the mornings, live on site, and keep the station equipment running, and in exchange, they would allow him, well, to, to do that. Fishstick negotiated for some form of payment on top of that, and eventually the brothers conceded to allowing him a tight ration of food, provided he could find three other people to co-host the program. Lulu was the only one to respond to the posters that Fishstick had put around town. She showed up at the station wearing her own wooden, non-functional, headphones, carrying a basket of knitting, and introduced herself with a pun. <sighs> Sounds about right. The night before the station was supposed to go to air for the first time, Fistick, out of desperation, began cold calling everyone he knew. Most people assumed for some reason that he was going to ask for money, and so they didn't answer. The rest simply thought he was an idiot, and rightfully so. Digging through his wallet, he found an old neon pink business card from a high school friend of his. The professor professing bro wisdom to those who may need it, it read. Perfect. He called, but no answer. After leaving a voicemail, all he could do was wait and hope that the professor made an appearance the next morning. May 27th, 2018. With the transmitter dialed up just above the FM band at 109.1, I Dino Radio was an hour from going live. Lulu had been set up happily since 3 a.m., knitting and humming Scottish folk songs to herself. 
The professor had boisterously kicked open the door at 4.30, brandishing a Pabst Blue Ribbon and loudly announcing that he had ordered pizza. Things were as good as they could get, but they were still one host short. And then literally at 4.58 a.m., two minutes before they went live, there was a knock on the front door. The pizza. Thinking quickly, Fishstick grabbed the delivery man by the arm and half-dragged him into the studio and threw him into the fourth chair. What is your radio name? Fishstick shouted at the poor man as he forced a pair of dirty headphones over his redacted pizza brand hat. Okay, two things. Who the fuck are you? And what the actual fuck is happening? Replied the delivery guy. Five o'clock. The intro bumper began to play as the entirely unprepared crew exchanged nervous glances. Mostly the delivery guy. Really though, imagine that happening to you. Having a show like this forced upon you at five o'clock in the morning, fish stick. Anyways, the music faded down and the crew let off their first loud, good Monday morning. And this is the point where most stories would say, and the rest is history. But it wasn't, because it wasn't great. A few important things did happen in that inaugural broadcast, though. The delivery man received the gift of a radio name, Mulch. We learned that he was in fact dropped off at that pizza place as a baby and was raised there by the employees. The first live phone call was taken that day as well, and that turned out to be quite a fateful moment. Lulu had been reviewing the concept of eggplants, and during her segment, Dr. Sfinkel called the show to explain a condition known as eggplant elephantitis of the penis. It not only causes your penis to become enlarged and purple, but it also makes it taste like shit. You know, like an eggplant. The eggplant discussion also led to what is now the crew's signature sign-off, Baba Ganoush. You see, Baba Ganoush is like, um, it's like the only eggplant-based dish that isn't terrible. It's almost like that could be a metaphor for this radio show, but I feel like that's still too kind. Anyway, the Hergus Bumfler siblings realized at this point that they would need a sales manager. So they appointed their son, Cliff, to take that position. To say this decision was poorly received would be an understatement. Cliff and the morning show crew had problems since day one. Aside from his grating voice and dubious morals, Cliff was not the mm, friendliest of characters. Even so, he did fairly well at providing a steady stream of advertisements and sponsors for the station, all of which can be found at badvertisement.fun. And, um, wait, is that really a... Son of a bitch, that's real. Huh. All right, well, by episode three, Mulch had decided to stick around for the long run and left his job at the pizza place. To honor this, he got his very own segment, Mulch's News Garden. Episode six marked the beginning of what would turn into a long and fruitful relationship between WIDK and popular beverage company, Smoca-Cola. Smoca-Cola sent in a few sample cases of their product and the gang was instantly hooked partially because that's what happens when you drink a beverage that's 15% nicotine. It's a soda that vaporizes slowly at room temperature, and you don't drink it. You smink it. You know, you inhale as you drink, you smell as you drink, you know, it's a... 
you know, that's nice. It is as wonderful as it sounds, and it comes in a variety of flavors, including pastrami reuben, menthol, and radish. Episode 10 marked the point at which the podcast version of I Dunno Radio was picked up by the network podcast NH. In case you're curious, there is absolutely no bard to entry there. The crew decided to try and prove their worth by starting a review drive in which they would have listeners leave five-star reviews, but with the most creatively scathing text possible. Our next notable moment occurred in episode 11 when Mulch learned the difference between mittens and gloves. That's not a joke. He was 25 years old when he found that out. I had... Basically no hopes for for Mulch, and yet just somehow still surprises. Mulch had previously believed that the difference depended on the type of material. You know, like mittens are the thin cotton, and gloves are the larger insulated things. He fought for this position for far too long. Episode 12 marked the first coup attempt at Idaho Radio. The FCC had received numerous complaints at this point, and fines were on the way. Management decided that the best damage control would be to ditch Mulch in favor of Chesterfield C. Chetson from MPR. It was also discovered that the pizza place which Mulch had been raised in was billing WIDK for all the hours he spent on air. And if there's one thing that the Hergesbumpler siblings hate, it's losing money which is actually kind of ironic if you think about it. Chesterfield was supposed to bring an air of high brownness to the station, but the crew ended up corrupting him through exposure to Smoca-Cola. It is addicting. The coup failed immediately, and Mulch resumed his role the following week. Perhaps the most important thing that happened in these 52 episodes was the introduction of the unofficial fifth host of the show, the Dad Joke Bell. This unassuming bell became a central figure, typically triggered by Lulu whenever a satisfactorily dadly joke was made on the air. Between episodes 14 and 15, major renovations began on the studio building. You see, it was discovered that Gerald's fish for eating had been dumping all of their bad seafood into a corner closet and just leaving them to decay. This practice had gone on for decades and caused major instabilities as the fish oil permeated and weakened the foundation and joists in the building. Lulu contracted a rare fish disease due to exposure to the fumes. Barry, one of the renovators, joined the crew on air in episode 15 to explain what happened. He told us how insurance wouldn't touch it, it was seen as gross negligence, and that the fish market would be absorbing the entire cost of repairing the facility. For the time being, the crew began broadcasting from the tannery next door. You know, Barry also revealed that he was a tax professional in Ireland, and that if he could commit one crime without being caught, it would be arson. I'm pretty sure that last bit is not important at all, though. Episode 15 also reflected the decision by management to stop paying to play songs during the broadcast, shifting to a format that was strictly talking and advertisements. Episode 17, while not particularly notable for plot, did mark the first time the show received fan art. Ian G, who at this point had become a prolific submitter of content to the show, converted Lulu's very real history of milk into an infographic that is now available for sale as a poster in the Scavengers Network store. 
Hi, I'm Colin Parker. Have I told you that I'm the pod boss of the Scavengers Network? Please join us over at the scavengersnetwork.storeenvy.com. There's all sorts of wonderful items, especially I Don't Know Radio stuff. Please take the I Don't Know Radio stuff off of our shelves. There is just too much of it. Oh my god, people order these things for like holiday parties and things like that. We have just hats and shirts. They're everywhere. Please take them off of our hands. Good lord. All right, sorry, back to it. The breaking point for the Hergus Bumpler siblings came during episode 18. John Cena's brown and serve abs. After three of the hosts professed their love for John Cena's abdomen in the creepiest way possible, the brothers immediately put the station up for sale behind the scenes. Fearing the ramifications of creeping out on one of the most powerful men alive, as well as the FCC fines that were stacking up outside the door, they were eager to leave. The brothers found a buyer in Jared, who quickly snapped up the radio station and proceeded to pour money into it. He purchased them a website, idkradio.com. He upgraded the transmitter. He even sent repairmen up to the rusting, tilting broadcast tower. What a champion. Unfortunately, he isn't the best at communication, and Fistic ended up turning on the transmitter while they were up there, still on it. Uh, This in no way, shape, or form led to their death. Um, I do need to tell you that legally, for legal reasons. Um, I don't think this will help, but just in case, TM, 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 TM. Um, However, Jared decided since Halloween was fast approaching, he would hang up two decorative corpses from the tower as a jovial display of the season. Gross. In episode 19, Jared accidentally made an appearance on the air during what he thought was a simple staff meeting. He instructed the crew to be careful not to run long, as immediately after 6am, the FCC safe harbor ended and they would not be able to slip undetected past their regulations. Later in that same episode, the crew stumbled upon Big Pussy, the cat cabal. What they thought was a joke turned out to be something much more sinister. In the episode immediately following, the crew took a new set of segments for a spin. In Fistic's word mix, they invented new swear words. Pores, which means to expel forcefully from one's pores, and nucknit. Maybe that's Nugget. And Nugget, used to describe a person who kicks the back of seats. God damn it. Like those like those little bastards who sit behind you on the plane? Fuck them. None of the segments caught on, though. Except for Lulu's cuckoo guru hullabaloo. Oh, oh, fuck. None of the segments caught on, though, except for Lulu's cuckoo guru hullabaloo, which runs alternating weeks to this day. Lulu, at this point, needed a break. She took what ended up being a month-long vacation to Jamaica. She conveniently did not mention that she was in Jamaica, Vermont. In the interim, her sister Mimi filled in. Mimi revealed that their parents were both engineers and highly efficient people. Their names had originally been Lou and Me, but they were both born with a stutter, and rather than try to correct it, her parents decided to just legally change their names. The crew also stumbled across another conspiracy, this time more actionable than Big Pussy. They found out about the Mobius Strip Earth Society and its leader, Dr. Mavid. Episode 25 was broadcast live from the meetup of the Podcast NH Network and had several folks from many different shows join them on the air. Unfortunately, Mulch couldn't make it. 
and this did not sit well with Jared. This is also the time when it was realized that Jared has a voice twin with Meter from the podcast We Need to Talk. Jared did not take this too well, and to this day has nothing but disdain for Meter. There can only be one voice. Meter, you better watch your back, dog. Since they were traveling anyways, the crew decided to look deeper into the Mobius Strip Earth Society and drove to Baton Rouge to rescue Dr. Mavid. When they found him, he was just smoking pot in someone's living room and playing Super Smash Brothers. And they brought him home anyways and had him join them on the air. I'm just now realizing that that episode took place around the time that I was still living in New Orleans. The fact that you all didn't come visit me and get that dog, truly a mistake. Episode 26 was the first sign that things were about to get very weird. After an enlightening and, frankly, insulting interview with Dr. Mavid about the ins and outs of Mobius Striptum, the Professor and Fishstick were joined on the air by their boss, Jared, and Mulch's alleged brother, Dennis. The episode immediately following found Fishstick and the Professor bound and gagged with taxidermied weaseled. With taxidermied... Taxidermized? I don't think that's right, my friend. But I bet you taxidermy doesn't either. Hang on. I apparently it is taxidermized. What the fuck? That's such a fucking stupid word. Okay. The episode immediately following found Fishstick and the professor bound and gagged with taxidermized weasels and Jared and Dennis attempting to claim the morning show for their own. Jared then had one of his characteristic sudden and abrupt changes of heart and decided last minute that he actually hated Dennis and preferred things remain the way that they were. It's also kind of revealed that Fishstick is possibly Dennis's father. Okay, look, side note here. Let, hey, come over here real quick. Let's. That one doesn't make any sense at all to me either. All right? So I'm just going to need you to just sort of Go along for the ride with me. That being said, I'm going to take another sip of this fucking beer because this is just... You know what I mean? Right? Right? Hey, we should hang out more often. Okay, now let's take a step back over here. And moving on. Just as things were returning to normal, in episode 29, it all went to hell. We received news that Smoke-A-Cola had a class action lawsuit leveled against them. At this point, Jared had purchased a majority of their stock and somehow put the radio station in a position to gain a large sum of money from this. He promised an all-new studio building and raises for all the staff were in the works. But just as the episode was winding down and just before the introduction to Mulch's news garden, the building burst into flames. Fishstick, Lulu, the professor, and Mulch managed to escape the chaos and make it outside. However, as we learned in Jared's New Year's message, not all were so lucky. It was announced that two senior tower repair persons had perished in the blaze, as well as the sales manager and son of the original owners, Cliff. The gang spent the week mourning, as construction crews made quick work of creating the new, better studio building. Jared had purchased an exorbitantly large plot of land, demolished a farmhouse, and ordered a massive new studio building to be built. As we learned from Charlie, the builder, in episode 33, no expense was spared. 
and the building was even installed with probiotic roofing technology. Uh, for those curious, that simply means that they packed mud from the foundation digging into the rafters. The idea here being that the, those good pests will keep the bad pests out. However, it doesn't seem to keep this crew out of the studio, so... Within the week, Phoenix Studios was constructed. Most who have seen pictures assume that the name is a typo, as Phoenix is spelled with two E's and no O. But the truth is, it was a trademark dispute, but Jared would not budge. He had the building christened by painting a large mural of a phoenix with just very prominent genitalia directly on the front side. Episode 31 opens with a live broadcast from Dr. Sfinkel, who is revealed is now a full-time staff member of Phoenix Studios, as well as the owner-operator of Dr. Sfinkel's Diagnostic Dogs, a hot dog truck slash house call vehicle. Sfinkel is live from the funeral for Cliff, which is an open casket affair. However, the only thing in the casket is a large pile of ashes. At the instruction of the crew, Sfinkel tastefully places a WIDK sticker upon the pile. Um, and then episode 35. This is a very frustrating one for me. Fishstick showed up at my house at like 5 in the goddamn morning because he locked himself out. Now, mind you, this is shortly after I let their stupid show be here on the Scavengers Network. He proceeded to make a mess of my living room, kill my ficus with his feet, and forced me to do the show with him. I am still not quite over that, and to be honest, because of that, I don't know why I'm even doing this. I think that maybe this is what they call Stockholm Syndrome. And now, immediately after my home invasion, I Dunno Radio hosted a telethon to raise funds and goods for the cause. It's a massive organization that is seemingly behind just about everything from pollution to pollution cleanup. The cause allegedly owns 99% of everything in the world. They were able, with the help of many podcasting friends, to raise over $2 million worth of donations for the cause. Some of the most notable were my contribution, thank you very much, which is the, you know, hour that you spend before you fall asleep, right, with your anxiety, thinking about past things. You're welcome, everyone, for gaining an hour of your life back. There's also, of course, the 14 Fabergé eggs donated by the mysterious and illustrious Charles de Georges, um, which, when hard-boiled, create a potent and addictive beverage that causes people to feel powerful. And a mysterious bureau covered in faces that allegedly has the power to trap people inside, which was donated by the Canesta family in Iowa. After that, things chugged along fairly smoothly for a while. The gang finally announced a winner for the review contest in episode 35. Yes, that's right. Do you remember that one from like 20 minutes ago? We also met Seabreeze, the digital marketing specialist in episode 47, who revealed that curated ads are truthfully derived from a feed of your thoughts, and people like her spend all day listening to a narrated feed of them before deciding which ads to send to you. I like that Seabreeze. I just feel like she gets me, you know what I mean? Jared also began construction on an enclosure to raise Fabergés within the Phoenix Studio building at this time. And, you know, truthfully, things were actually nice until, well, a little while later, in the beginning of episode 51, that's when the professor recounted how he stumbled into an extremely large secret sub-sub-sub-basement in the Phoenix Studio building 
whilst looking for his Donkey Kong flash drive. He tells them that he found the bureau from the telethon, and it has a note atop it addressed to the deceased sales manager, Cliff. The gang brushes it off for a week, but cannot resist digging deeper. And that brings us to episode 52. The crew sets out with their remote broadcast gear and decides to investigate the basement firsthand. After dilly-dallying around in Fishstick's bedroom, making fun of him for most of the episode, they make their way to the secret door and discover that all the donations they raised during the telethon are being kept in the basement. They also discover many more Fabergé incubation pods, as well as what must be thousands and thousands of pounds worth of catnip and cat toys. After spending some time opening boxes, they made their way inside the bureau to see if it really is what it's cracked up to be. It's at this point that they knew they done fucked up. The bureau slammed on Lulu's foot, which had been holding the door propped, and she fell inside. The lock clicked, and the gang was trapped. After panicking for a while, the professor peeked through the keyhole. Cliff walked towards them out of the darkness, laughing. He explained how he intended to fake his death, take his insurance money, and run. But Jared's contract included a clause that allowed WIDK to liquidate all of Cliff's assets and absorb them into its operating budget. It's revealed at this point as well that Jared is there too and has been locked in the bureau for over a week. Cliff announces that he's partnered with The Cause and Big Pussy to take over Idano Radio before abandoning the crew to die in the bureau. And, uh, that's about it. That's where we're at right here. And, uh, I mean, no, I, I don't know what's happening next. God, they might die? I mean, that bureau is deep in there, and it's not like someone would stumble upon them on accident. Okay, no, shut up. I'm not foreshadowing, all right? I legitimately have no idea. Fishstick doesn't tell me anything. But like I said, that brings us to where we are. I genuinely hope that you enjoy whatever happens next. So thanks for spending some time with me today. Once again, I'm Colin Parker, the pod boss of the Scavengers Network. And if you enjoy this show or any of the other great shows here on the network, it would be wonderful if you could drop by patreon.com slash the scavengers network. For just $2 a month, you can get all the bonus content from different shows, and it helps us keep the lights on, and it's helping us do things like save up to do some live shows, to do some traveling, to do some crazy little video things with spooky spouses. There's a whole bunch of really great things on the horizon. Um, and truthfully, without you, the listeners, we wouldn't have a network. So once again, that is patreon.com slash the scavengers network. Bye-bye now. See ya.